everybody. I'm just waiting for everyone, hopefully someone, to join in the discussion so I can have someone to bounce ideas off of and we can hear other people's insights because your insights are so important and I want to hear them. I Hello, good evening from North Carolina. It's currently raining, crazy raining outside. I like it when it rains here because it'll be bright and sunshiny and beautiful and then all of a sudden it's like super rainy and the raindrops are like this big around and then it will stop and it's just sunshiny again. I like it. Artemis, not such a fan. She was quite worried about the loud rain. And I'm wearing my You Will Be Found merch, my Dear Evan Hansen merch tonight. Nice way to commemorate the wonderful run they had on Broadway and they just closed, which is so sad. I'm glad Gaten got to go play be in the cast, whatever, before they officially closed. I just wish I could have went and saw it on Broadway with him in the cast, but it was not to be. And as you can tell from the red under my nose and the general meh of my demeanor, I'm a little bit, like I'm not sick, but I'm not 100%. I'm feeling a little bit run down right now, so. I have a little cold or something. I don't know. I'm a little bit run down. But the good thing about these is it doesn't matter what my health is. I can still do them. <laughs> Whereas I've been working on a TV set the last week or so. And I had to mark myself as unavailable for yesterday and today and the next day or two. Just to make sure I'm 100% healthy before I go back around everybody on set. when it gets a little bit closer to the episodes premiering on TV, I'll let you know what that show is so you guys can squint and watch carefully and see if you can see me in the background of the episodes. <laughs> it's been fun. It's been fun and tiring and a learning experience and I've really enjoyed it. I will wait just a minute or so more to see if anybody jumps on and then I will begin my weekly live session and this week it is about parenting and mental health and how we can help use parenting techniques and parenting choices to help our kids be as mentally healthy long term as possible hopefully like there's no perfect answers I want to reiterate the fact that I am not a medical professional or a mental health professional. I do not claim to be. I am also not a parenting expert by any means. And I am not perfect at parenting. You can ask my daughters, they'll tell you. <laughs> or my husband. I am not a perfect parent, but I am a happiness hero, meaning I am a champion for happiness. I'm a fighter for happiness in my own life and in my kid's life. And as somebody who is a happiness hero, I want to share whatever knowledge I have or could find, and hopefully you guys will share some too, to help us 
do the best we can by our kids to help them be their own happiness heroes. Heroes for their own happiness, even though I will 100% be a, ha a hero for my daughter's happiness for the, all three of their lives, their whole lives. I will be a champion for their happiness because it's very, very important to me. Of all the things I want for them, my number one, I just want them to be happy. I want them to, number one, know they are loved, unconditionally, without boundaries, forever and ever. And I want them to know, and I want them to be happy. And I want them to know who they are and to be happy with themselves. And there's a lot of things that we can do to help us be happier. And that's what this whole thing is about. One of my daughters just screamed in the shower because I think the other daughter pranked her somehow. I don't know if you heard that, but no one's getting murdered in my house right now. They're both giggling right now. Someone just got pranked in the shower, I think. Parenting. This is reality, folks. This is my life. All right, I better get started because I don't know, this might be a very quiet night. Maybe nobody wants to talk about parenting because in the truth of the matter is that none of us have any idea what we're doing. Maybe, maybe that's the case. I'm sorry. I'm actually, I'm not sorry. Thank you for your patience in me blowing my nose on camera. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so this week, there have been a lot of wins with my kids and so I, it's been a good week for to be a proud parent some of the wins that we've had so we recently moved across the country and so we're still in a position where we really don't know anybody and everything's new and we've all had to kind of like push our comfort zones a bit that's especially hard when you're still in school and my daughter my oldest daughter's a freshman in high school and she loves theater and drama and acting and performance and all things like that and she was very active in those things in our old city, in our old town, in Pocatello. And she decided as a freshman at a much bigger high school to audition for the fall play, which was a very brave, bold move for her. And I was very proud of her. And she went all out and she, I, I wasn't in there with her, but I know she gave a hell of a, an audition for that play. And she got a callback and she went to callbacks and put her heart, whole heart into it there, and she ended up getting a named role and got cast in it, and she's playing opposite a senior. And it's just really, her character's name is Rhonda, and it's in the play in Almost Maine. I believe that's the name of the play. And she's very excited, and we're very proud of her that she put herself out there like that to get cast in this play. So that's really cool. And then my middle daughter, back in Pocatello was a competitive cheerleader. She did competitive cheerleading and she got to last Saturday try out for a very competitive, competitive cheerleading group here. And it was very nerve wracking and so much anxiety. And I felt so bad and there's just so many people and it was, it was intense. It was an intense atmosphere. And my brave, tough, gritty Ellie, she went in and she did her best and she ended up getting placed a rank or a class I don't even know how it works but anyway she ended up get. I'm gonna be a, well I'm gonna be the best cheer mom I can be but I'm definitely not like the typical cheer mom 
she's a rank higher or a class group whatever higher than what she'd even tried out for or expected so that was a pretty big deal she did really well and she has a lot of things to look forward to this year and a lot of hard work to put in with her cheerleading we get to do some traveling we did quite a bit last year with her cheer we we're down in Utah several times because we lived in Idaho and we were down in Utah several times for competitions and we even were clear down in like St. George, Utah, which is by Vegas. So it was a big one that time. Those were our biggest travels for last year. This year with her cheer team, she travels all over the place and she has one competition in Ohio, Cincinnati, I think. I don't remember exactly where Columbus or Cincinnati. Eh, I don't know, but it's a pretty big jump to go over there for that cheerleading competition. And she also has one in Myrtle Beach, which isn't too far, but it's a, it'll be fun to go to Myrtle Beach and have her do that cheerleading competition. And I don't know where all the rest are, but she has a lot to look forward to and a lot to work for. She'll have to put in a lot of, a lot of tough work there. And then our youngest, our little nine-year-old, she has never, ever expressed interest or done anything with swimming outside of just like our stuff we did as family. I mean, she spent a lot of time in the water because we've done a lot of family stuff. Lake Powell in the summers and, I mean, she's had plenty of exposure to water, but it's never been like, oh, I'm gonna be a swimmer. Well, she decided after we moved here, I wanna do competitive swim swimming. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, let's get you in a couple lessons to like prepare you for the tryout and stuff, just to like make sure it's all good. And so she went and she had a couple private lessons to help get her ready. And she ended up just like her older sister, trying out for swim team and getting put a rank higher or a class higher than we even expected or tried out for. So that was really exciting. And our youngest is now a swimmer, a competitive swimmer. And she also has a lot of events coming up to, oh, scheduling. I think she has swimming three nights a week and Ellie has cheer a couple nights a week. And, and then uh, Hadley has all of her activities. She has acting lessons every week, one night, and then she'll have her rehearsals and all like oh it's a good thing I'm not working right now outside of the house because well besides when I'm working on set which I so I guess I am working outside the house but I'm just glad when I'm not on set I have the freedom to get the kids everywhere they need to go and that course job is flexible enough that he's able to help with that because whew, they keep us busy and they love what they do and I'm so happy that they're happy so that's me filling you in on what my kids' little wins are this week. That was quite the tangent. And so I want to go back and talk a little bit about the play that Hadley's in. I consider myself, or I always have considered myself, a pretty progressive parent and a pretty lax, I guess. Protective but lax. There's some kind of balance there but a pretty progressive and especially when it comes to the arts and theater and those kind of things, I'm, I've always been like, don't censor the plays. If you don't approve of the plays, then don't put those plays on. Like, you know, stay true to what the artist wrote, all that kind of stuff. If you, if you feel like you have to change it, then don't do that play. That's how I've always been. Well, Ellie, or not Ellie, hi Ellie, Hadley got cast in this play and we're so proud, so excited, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then she started showing me, she'd found online a copy of the script or something, and she started showing me a couple scenes in this one scene, and I'm reading it, and I was about to die. 
because I don't know what was happening inside. Like I just, so uncomfortable. It involved, it involved some heavy kissing and some suggestive, very suggestive stuff that they are preparing to have sex. And there's even like in the stage notes, them like ripping each other's clothes off down to the, they're in long johns. So down to their underwear, their long johns, and then standing on stage and passionately kissing on stage in their long john underwear. This isn't, I don't know exactly how they're gonna do this at a high school, but I was like, oh my God. Mostly because my daughter's 14. She's playing opposite a senior and it is a role that's traditionally played by a male, but the person playing opposite her is a female. And that's who they cast. And I don't have a problem with that. Hadley's been cast as a male several times in several plays and she did awesome. But, and I don't have a problem with her kissing another female. That does not bother me. But my 14 year old who's never ever been kissed in her life and has never even had like a real kiss, her standing on stage in long john underwear, passionately making out with another person that's a senior, like significantly older than she is. Like, I guess it's not, one of her best friends is a senior, but I don't know. There's just a difference there in like experience and in maturity and I don't know. I feel very uncomfortable and I just don't know what to do and I don't know what to say. Like I don't want to be a hypocrite. <laughs> but I don't want to put my daughter in a position where she's not going to be mentally healthy either or I don't know. I don't know what's the best choice here. I don't know what's not the good choice here. I'm torn and I'm confused and this is all part of parenting. Like, it's all part of parenting. Sometimes stuff comes up and you're like, what do I do? Do I do nothing? Do I let her make her own decisions and say, hey, this really makes me uncomfortable and, you know, tell the director that, like leave it up to her and not step in unless she asks me to step in, which I usually try to do anyway. I usually say, what do you need from me? Do you need support? Do you need someone to vent to? Do you need me to mama bear? Cause I can full on mama bear if you want me to. Like, what do you need from me? And I usually let her tell me what she needs, but right now I'm just sitting back and I'm gonna wait and see what happens. And I don't, I just don't know. It's very awkward, very weird place to be. My same daughter, Hattie, my oldest, has had struggles in the past uh, with anxiety. Like she, she has anxiety and that's something that she struggles with. And I have in the past pressured her into like counseling and things like that. And then she hates it. And so then I'm, if I ever mention like her trying it again, she like kind of has a breakdown. It's like, I never want to do that again. So that's kind of a hard thing. Like, where is the line as parents? Where do we pressure? Where do we step back? Um, it's tough. It's tough to know because you want them to be as healthy as they can be and as happy as they can be. And... I know sometimes counseling makes me super uncomfortable too. It's not my favorite sometimes, but I also have had times when it's so pivotal and so, so life-changing and helpful. And so it's hard to make that balance. Where do we put the pressure and where do we stop? Like, what's the balance? I guess sometimes you just gotta tell them what you do know and what your experience is and let them make that choice. So today, during the many hours I spent in the car 
with getting kids everywhere they need to go, I was listening to NPR. I love NPR. I was listening to NPR and at one point it had talked about teen suicide rates and how of all the different age groups, teen suicide rates, teen suicide rates is the only group that hadn't dropped and in fact grown. And it is like significantly higher the rate of teen suicides than other age groups and things like that. And it's very troubling to think about and look at and consider or whatever. So why is it so it's, oh, parenting in general is very, very difficult, but parenting teenagers, whew. So what can we do as parents to help our teenagers and our kids, teenagers specifically because of this concern, help them have the tools and the coping mechanisms they need to be able to get through it to be able to because their poor little brains their prefrontal cortexes are not even fully developed yet and with their not even fully developed yet brains they have all of these pressures and all of these pains and all of these anxieties and all of this stress piled on them without the ability even to fully you know handle it are we giving them the tools they need to help them get through that now I'm gonna talk more and more about this and I'm gonna talk about like what some of those tools could be like I said I'm not an expert I'm just gonna give you some stuff that, or suggestions that I found helpful Ellie's saying hey mom to me hi Ellie I thought you were going to bed she's probably up reading she loves or watching glee reels and whatnot all right all right so in talking about our own mental health struggles where do we draw those boundaries because i have my own huge lot of mental health struggles and i've had them in the past and i have like a family history and all kinds of things so what where do i draw the boundaries there with talking about it because i want them to see that i struggle and how i get through those struggles because those are important tools for them to have but and maybe it's so important that they won't get into a point where they feel like they're all alone or they won't get to a point where they have the mental stresses and they don't know how to approach them. And they get to that point where they feel like there's no other answer. All right, this made me think about social media. And this is another thing that I heard, another topic I heard being discussed on NPR as I was doing the tons of driving today. Expert timing when I had this as my topic tonight. But it was talking about how with social media being such a huge thing and so many teenagers spend so much time on social media, what they're seeing is that um, cases of different specific mental illnesses are skyrocketing. Um, things like Tourette's, things like, um, it's not called multiple personality disorder anymore, it's called- DID, Dissociative Identity Disorder, right? Something like that. Um, those cases that are skyrocketing and there's other things that, you know, these mental illnesses that are skyrocketing and they're, they're making a correlation between the amount of time that kids are spending on social media seeing um, person, you know, social media people with these with these uh, mental health struggles or these mental illnesses 
um, and then what they're talking about is like, are the kids seeing these things and then imitating them or developing them? Like even if they aren't just imitating them, maybe they're developing them from watching it. I don't know. I don't know exactly where the science is. And I have not further read articles on it or anything like that, but it was an interesting, interesting talking point and whatnot. I'll just wait a second here. This is why I need my own space. And eventually I'll have it if our house, when our house is eventually done being built. That's not the only reason I need my own space. Oh my gosh, I need my own space. But I'll wait because Cora and Artie are helping themselves to some cereal right now and the chomping is, I'm not sure if you can hear or not, but it's pretty loud. <laughs> I have whatever that neuro sensitivity is where you're like, way overly sensitive to sounds I definitely have that and not just from watching social media I've always had that <laughs> all right so what I was thinking about is yeah kids may be imitating in these cases but also maybe some of it can be attributed to the destigmatization of mental health struggles where they're seeing more people who have struggles that they already have and they're being more open with their struggles because it's being destigmatized it's more out there in the world it's not this weird thing that you keep hidden it's mm, there's other people with it too and it's just a mental mental illness that i have to deal with all right ellie good night love you so i think that social media can go both ways yeah on one hand maybe it's too much. Maybe there needs to be some kind of boundary there, but maybe the, on the other hand, it's destigmatizing mental health so that more people can get help. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure there are studies that are going into this and I would love to read the research. I love reading scholarly articles. There's a whole like other branch of Google where I can't remember what it is. If you type in scholarly articles, it will take you to it, but you can just search scholarly articles and read research being done on all kinds of different stuff. And it's very interesting. So if you're really bored, or if you're really curious, like I get. All right, so I wanna talk about what anxiety and depression are, because I suffer from both of these. Um, I, there's a family history of this in my life. And so heretically, my girls have a predisposition for these things, but anxiety is like worrying about the future, worrying about what's coming, worrying, worrying, worrying about what's coming, what, you know, that's anxiety. Um, depression is kind of like worrying about the past, dwelling in what's already happened, dwelling in things you cannot change. And so future, past, anxiety, depression, it's to me makes sense that we need to learn to be more present and mindful. And then we need to help our kids for our own selves and our own happiness. We need to help our kids develop mindfulness tools as well so that they can learn to be present and to live in the moment and be happy and those are the kind of tools we need to give them to help them get through because nobody's life is going to be without struggle nobody's life is going to be without hardship and you know without and most of us will have some kind of mental maybe not full-on mental illness but some kind of like mental health struggle at some point you most likely will and so being able to fortify them with those mindfulness tools is just something that can help them to be able to get through the hardships when they come. Okay, 
Emotional maturity. I'm going to talk about this, so I need you to know what it means. Emotional maturity and how can we model it for our kids? Because most adults do not have emotional maturity. <laughs> In my experience, I am not fully emotional mature all the time. I am still trying to be mindful and trying to get better and practice emotional maturity, but I am not perfect by any means whatsoever. I'm aware that I need to be better and I'm trying, <laughs> but emotional maturity um, it is described by the American Psychological Association as a high and appropriate level of emotional control and expression. So if you're ex if you are um, exhibiting emotional maturity, you have a high and appropriate level of emotional control and expression. You have control over those emotions and how you're expressing them. That is emotional maturity. Emotional immaturity, on the other hand, is a tendency to express emotions without restraint or disproportionately to the situation, overreactions, things like that. Um, so this is according to the American Psychological Association, where, and I found these definitions on WebMD. Oh, thank you, WebMD. But the high and appropriate level of emotional control and expression is maturity, emotional maturity. Um, expressing emotions without constraint or disproportionately to the situation, that is emotional immaturity. It's unhealthy for us to be emotionally immature, but it's very unhealthy for our kids for us to act emotionally immature around them and to not model emotional maturity for them. Not that I'm perfect about this because I'm not, but I'm letting you know what I've learned over the years and what I've researched. Okay, so how do we take control of our emotions and keep them in check? With mindfulness. Mindfulness is so important. And in my years of recovery, after my really, really low period when I was hospitalized and all that kind of stuff. Oh, hello, hello, welcome, welcome. In my years of recovery, a lot of my group therapy sessions, a lot of my counseling, a lot of the tools I was given and the tools I was taught focused on mindfulness. Mindfulness is so important. It's not just meditation. There's so many, th so many aspects to it. Um, and then how does our ability or inability to control our emotions impact our children's mental health? Trauma. It traumatizes them. Um, our lack of ability to regulate our emotions leads to trauma for our kids and it teaches them bad ways of dealing with their own emotions. So miseducation, I don't know. So learning mindfulness is very, very important. So I visited a website that talked about adverse childhood experiences um, and they got their information from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention um, and this website was Intragris Health, specifically from the state of Oklahoma, but Intragris Health is, probably has multiple things. Anyway, I wanna share some information they gave about adverse childhood experiences with you and some of the examples, situations that they consider adverse childhood experiences included being a victim of violence, abuse, or neglect. I'm like, that's a pretty obvious one. Um, witnessing violent acts in your home or in your community. That's a pretty big one. Um, a family member attempting or committing suicide. 
this happened in my life as a child and it's a very serious it leaves a lasting scar and so that's an adverse childhood experience um, substance abuse in the home or you know in the family mental health problems so parents with mental health problems that's can that can be a met, an adverse childhood experience so technically my kids could have had adverse childhood experiences related to my mental health struggles um, and so i have to help them balance that out by helping give them tools to deal with that right um, having parents who are separated or divorced it does have an impact i also had this and i went through a lot of moving 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 you know different relationships and things like that and it's not easy a household member who is incarcerated this was an adverse childhood experience that statistically had a lot of things correlated with it so one in three children under the age of 18 deal with at least one adverse childhood experience um, while 14% experience two or more adverse childhood experiences, um, about a quarter of the time, divorce or separations are responsible for adverse childhood experiences. So that's interesting to know about. An adverse child experience doesn't guarantee a future problem. Rather, it heightens a child's future risk of mental health problems. So it doesn't guarantee it, it just heightens the risk. Um, uh, it heightens the risk of mental health problems, injury, risky behaviors, infectious or chronic disease, and lack of income or educational opportunities. So there's a lot that this stuff can lead to. Um, most notable... Oh, sorry about that. That was my thing telling me it's about time to take my medicine. Good night, honey. I love you. Another child saying good night. So, as it relates to the topic that we're talking about tonight, is that Adverse childhood experiences can increase the risk of depression, anxiety, suicide, and PTSD, which, like I told you, I've had my battles with all that stuff because of my own adverse childhood experiences and the different traumas I went through. I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder, anxiety. I was hospitalized because of suicide-related things. And then I was also diagnosed with PTSD. So I can tell you firsthand, this stuff is real and the stuff that I'm telling you is a thing. Um, the CDC estimates as many as 21 million cases of depression could have been potentially avoided by shielding children from these adverse experiences. That's intense. <laughs> That's intense. And whose responsibility is it to shield children from adverse childhood experiences? I'm not saying that, like, no parent is perfect. I am not perfect. My kids have had plenty of their own problems and their own adverse experiences. But it's our job as parents to try to shield them from as much of the stuff as we can that I mentioned before. It's okay for them to have struggles. It's okay for them to learn mental grit. But to protect them from PTSD and other things is important. If children are taught how to regulate their emotions and given tools and techniques to help them get through their adverse experiences, uh, they're likely to come out stronger despite those experiences. This is even stronger than kids that didn't have those experiences. So that's important to know too. So this all got me thinking about parenting, 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 and different parenting styles because there are different 
recognized parenting styles and which ones are the healthiest for our children's long-term mental well-being and which ones are not healthy for our children's long-term well-being. I was very interested, so I started reading articles about this. Okay, so the first parenting style I want to talk about is the authoritarian. Um, and I got this from ADAA.org. Um, I think it's Anxiety, Anxiety and Depression Association of America or something like that. ADAA.org. Oh no, those are my tips for... This one's came from... I think this came from the same website as before, the integrisok.com. So the authoritarian, there are clear rules and punishments when those rules aren't met, but there is little warmth involved. It, in this structured environment, it's more of a my way or the highway type attitude. Without needed support, children may never feel they're good enough and can develop depression when raised by authoritarian parents. So my way or the highway is not always the best way. Authoritative. Parents develop clear standards and are responsive to their children's needs in a democratic way. Instead of being the boss, they are open to communication and will listen to their children. Growing up in an authoritative household provides a child with a solid foundation, but they're also likely to maintain a strong connection with their parents through adulthood. So it seems like, to me, authoritative is more healthy than authoritarian. Okay, permissive. I'm permissive. Expectations are low and permissive parents are generally, actually I think I'm kind of a somewhere in between permissive and authoritative. I don't know, authoritative. Expectations are low for permissive and permissive parents generally are more lenient and have few rules to abide by. Even when the rules are broken, permissive parents tend to avoid conflict. Without much grounding, children raised like this may be more impulsive and are prone to seeking risks. Anxiety and depression risks are also in play. I do tend to lead, lean more permissive and my husband leans more authoritative, and so we kind of balance each other out in that, and I think that's a good thing. He even sometimes could lean a little bit even more toward authoritarian, not very often, but sometimes, and then my permissive stuff is good because it pulls him right back, and, hit, and vice versa, his pulls me up a little bit. Okay, the last type of the four is called uninvolved. Um, the least restrictive of the four, uninvolved parents are simply that. They're uninterested and invest little time in their children. Parents who are uninvolved generally have little communication or involvement with their kids. Rules matter little to them, and they don't enforce misbehaving. Children in these types of households are more at risk of struggling in, the future, in future relationships due to withdrawal and fear of abandonment. Relationships in general may be anxiety-provoking due to the nature of their upbringing. I've seen a lot of this. A lot in my personal life and whatnot but yeah whatever your parents styling it is it's gonna have a big impact on your kids mental well-being and so it's important to recognize what your choices are doing okay and then this continues on say psychological inflexibility and self-esteem have been shown to oh this is from a scholarly article I read about this I'll have to post all these links for you or something. Let me see if I have the link somewhere in here. This is a really interesting article, but it, it was a study that they did on parenting styles and 
their impact. And it said psychological inflexibility and self-esteem have been shown to be significant predictors of mental health. Our goal as parents could be to help our children develop high self-esteem and psychological flexibility. And so I'm gonna explain to you what psychological flexibility is. Psychological inflexibility is a pattern in which behavior is excessively controlled by one's thoughts, um, feelings, and other internal experiences, or to avoid those experiences at the expense of more effective and meaningful actions. Um, they call it fusing. They call it emotionally fused or in act, which is one of the mental health. Uh, and this is from frontiersin.org is where this scholarly article is from. Anyway, one of the big uh, mental health areas of practice that I went through, like lots of therapy classes, and I didn't stick at first, it took many rounds of it, was ACT. It's called ACT. And they focus a lot on getting out of that fused state, that mental fusion. And that's also known as psychological inflexibility. And kids who grew up in homes with lots of adverse childhood experiences or you know um, parents who are uninvolved or you know another ways traumatic they tend to get very fused they tend to be very psychologically inflexible um, some emotional immaturity all that kind of stuff and so these classes that I took and this counseling stuff like that really helped me to be able to gain some tools to work through those things and to be more psychologically flexible so I didn't get to that point where I'm like, why am I even alive? You know? Okay. So psychological, I told you what psychological inflexibility is and then self-esteem. Self-esteem is confidence in one's own worth or abilities. Self-respect. That's, and it's easier to have confidence in your own worth and abilities when that's reinforced by your parents. When they tell you how much you are worth, when they tell you how great you are doing, when they tell you your abilities are amazing, like, it's okay to reinforce that for your kids and it's important to reinforce that for your kids to help them and they have to learn it for themselves too but they'll never learn it for themselves when they're hearing bad things from you know the most important people in their lives so I want to read the discovery portion of this scholarly article to you about parenting styles and and mental wellness in our kids long term our findings suggest that self-esteem plays an important role in the influence of parenting style on adolescent mental health. Parents should cultivate their child, children's self-esteem through demonstrations of high emotional warmth, low rejection, and low overprotection behaviors. So did you hear the things that you want to, in order to cultivate self-esteem, the things you want to avoid? You want to avoid overprotection you want to avoid rejection and you want to give demonstrations of high emotional warmth those things are important for your child's self-esteem it plays an important role not only in the influence of parenting style on adolescent mental health but also in the influence of self-esteem on adolescent mental health therefore parents should not only pay attention to the cultivation of children's self-esteem but also focus on children's psychological flexibility this is important Parents should cultivate their children's self-esteem and psychological flexibility through high emotional warmth. That's another one. Be loving. Low rejection. Low overprotection. That's important. And then improve their child, 
improve their children's mental health. Specifically, parents should express love, care, affection, nurturance, and emotional support to their children through physical, verbal, or symbolic means. Avoid expressing indifference. Avoid expressing, listen to these ones. Avoid expressing indifference, aggression, neglect, and rejection to their children. And avoid excessive control over their children. Also very important, because they have to learn I mean, if you do that, they're never gonna learn how to deal with their emotions. In addition, studies have shown that parental psychological flexibility, so this is the psychological flexibility as a parent in yourself, will predict the parenting atmosphere and parent-child relationship. Parents should learn some ACT techniques. Look into ACT, I'm telling you, it saved my life. It helps me so much as a parent. Parents should learn some ACT techniques such as acceptance, cognitive diffusion, flexible attention to the present moment, this is being mindful, mindfulness, self as context, values, and committed action in order to enhance parental psychological flexibility. So I hope you heard that last part if you needed to write down, even if you just go check out ACT, ACT techniques, Read into them, study up on them. If you have classes, like if there's, back in Pocatello, I went to Life Change Associates and they had great group therapy classes where we learned ACT techniques and how to use them in our lives. If there's something like that in your community, get on it because the better you're doing for yourself and your own mental health and your own psychological flexibility, the better you're gonna be as a parent. And the better your kids are gonna fare because of it. Okay, some coping mechanisms to practice ourselves and to model for our children. And this is from ADAA.org. Number one, take a time out. When you're fused, when you're emotionally charged, when you're emotion or psychologically inflexible, take a time out. Practice yoga. Listen to music. Meditate. Get a massage. Oh, I need a massage right now. I, I wish I were wealthy enough to have a personal masseuse and get like one massage a week or something. Um, learn re relaxation techniques. Stepping back from the problem helps clear your head. So step back from the problem. Before you react, step back, clear your head. Um, some of the different things that I learned over time is drop anchor. That means you feel your, drop feel your bum on your chair, feel your feet on the floor, anchor yourself to the floor. Um, notice five things you can, what are five things you can hear? What are four things you can see? What are three things you can feel? You know, like be present, be in the moment. Um, there's a visualization techniques that I use a lot. Like when I have bad thoughts, I let them, I visualize a river in my brain and the bad thoughts flow by in the river. And instead of fusing to those thoughts, I watch them go by and I recognize them, acknowledge them and see you later, dude. Like you don't have to fish those nasty thoughts out of the river. You can just let them float by. Um, the next thing that they suggest is eat well-balanced meals. Your nutrition is very important to your mental health more than we think. Um, and like for your kids, what are your kids eating? If they're having a hard time focusing at school, what are they eating for lunch? What are they eating for breakfast? Like it affects it. it could, and sometimes you don't have control of that. Sometimes you don't have money to be able to. So if you need help, get help. Um, eat well-balanced meals. Do not skip meals. Keep healthful energy boosting snacks on hand. 
Alright, there's another one that I probably haven't been paying enough attention to lately and it's probably why I'm under the weather right now. Limit your alcohol and caffeine. I've had a lot of caffeine lately, especially when I was going to Wilmington all the time for to be on set and whatnot. Drinking too much coffee, so I need to take a step back from that. I very rarely drink alcohol, but it's very important not to get in that spiral. Um, alcohol and caffeine can aggravate anxiety and trigger panic attacks. I told Cor the other day, I was just at like, I think it was at Costco, but I don't remember. I was somewhere like that and had totally having a panic attack. I didn't have a good, I didn't know why exactly I couldn't, but maybe it's got way too much caffeine that day. <laughs> and the anxiety was enhanced and had that panic attack at Costco because I had too much caffeine in my body and too much going on. All right, get enough sleep. This is another one I struggle with. Get enough sleep. Enough sleep, and that's different for everybody, but I think generally they suggest seven to eight hours. Pretty sure I need like eight to 10 hours. Maybe because I'm getting old, I don't know. Maybe just who I am, but get enough sleep. And get good sleep if you can. Exercise daily. I don't do this either, but it's so good for you. Even, and I think that when we hear exercise daily, we make it so much in our heads that we have to like go to the gym every day and we have to run a mile or two or three or five and we have to lift weights and we have to like, we make it bigger in our head than it has to be. What if exercise daily meant go for a walk? Go for a walk for a half hour. Get your body moving, get 10,000 steps in a day. What if that's all we started with? And if we wanted to work up to running a marathon, we could. But if we didn't, if our extra, for us, exercising every day meant just walking. That's awesome. Or doing more cleaning your house. You know, things that, other things that could tr contribute to your mental wellness and your mental health. Why not? The healthier you are, the healthier your kids will be and the healthier your environment will be for your kids. Okay, take deep breaths. Breathing techniques, so important. I've been taught these by a lot of different therapists, a lot of different mental health professionals, and I've used them so much, just breathing. And I've done this with my own kids since they were teeny, teeny, tiny, when they were having you know, their own little baby anxiety attack or whatever, a fit, whatever, a breakdown. So many times I've sat with them and said, okay, let's breathe. <sighs> breathing, it's powerful. Um, if you want really, really good breathing techniques or breathing exercises, jump on YouTube. There's a million, and there's ones for little kids that are just great. For adults, little kids, there's a breathing techniques and mindfulness techniques, tutorials on YouTube, never ending. So many good resources. Um, also like apps like Calm. Wonder I love meditating with Calm and breathing with Calm, and this is not an advertisement because they are not paying me. I wish they were. I'm just trying to give you tools that I use that are helpful. Okay, count to 10 slowly. I don't know if you've ever did this with your kids. Okay, calm down, count to 10 before you freak out. Do your best, quit pushing for perfection. Do your very best. Know that perfection is in a, you know, not a reality, it's, not, it's unobtainable. Um, be proud of however close you get. Shoot for the stars and even if you miss your land among the moon. A shoot for the moon and even you miss you land among the stars, right? Like that that old saying. Be proud of yourself for, how, for everything you do. Okay, accept that you cannot control everything. 
I, I would like to be in control of everything and I can't be. You gotta accept, put your stress in perspective. Is it really as bad as you think? You can't control everything. You, you can control very, very, very little actually. And so try to put it in perspective. Welcome humor. Laughing is great, great medicine for the soul. Um, try to maintain a positive attitude. Make an effort, a conscious effort to replace negative thoughts with positive ones. Reframe things in your mind. Restate things in your mind to make them positive, not negative. Don't those, was it last week or the week before when I told you all the no-fly words to try to eliminate? Get rid of those. Okay, learn what triggers your anxiety so that you can, you know, try to avoid those triggers or so that you can learn how to better deal with them. They, a suggestion was writing in, in a journal when you're feeling stressed or anxious and looking for patterns. I journaled a lot when I was younger and I think that it was very helpful. I don't do it anymore, but this is kind of like my journal. It could be very, very helpful. All right, and finally, talk to someone. Talk to people you love, talk to people you trust. Um, tell friends and family when you're feeling overwhelmed and it's hard to talk to people, but talk to someone and reach out to a physician or a professional therapist or Find professional help if you need it. You gotta help you so that you can help your kids. And you gotta model that for your kids. All right, I've got to go because I gotta go pick up my Walmart order. And so, I thank you all if you watch this with me or if you watch it later. If you have any tips for parenting and mental health, please send them my way. If you'd like to get on here I can invite other people in the future to my lives and we can talk together and it could be more of a discussion instead of just me blabbing I would love that so just let me know send me a DM and join me every week for a live eight o'clock and these will soon be coming out as a podcast which I plan on dropping in January so join Jordy happiness hero for my lives and my podcast you're amazing I love you Kels you're all amazing, and I want you all, before I go, last thing I always do, put your hand right here. Tell yourself, I am loved, I am safe, I am enough, and have a very, very good evening.